What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, glad you are back. You were with the Wayans brothers on Sunday? Yeah, man. I was shooting a little um, short film with Greg Wayans, who's Wayans' nephew. And then also, remember Booby Gibson that played with LeBron? Sure, why not? Let's pretend I do. Yeah, man, he was uh, he was like the number two in minutes in that 07 finals with the Cavs. Uh, he was also the other star. So I was doing a little short film. It was a good time. Just standard stuff. If there's ever a reason to to not be there to recap an ICC championship podcast, I think that's it, obviously. And, and hanging out with uh, with a bunch of celebs that you know everybody knows, and obviously I know. <laughs> I'm very familiar with, with all those people. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a loaded pod in your return today. We have Chris Rodriguez coming up in a little bit. C-Rod. We're gonna, yeah, C-Rod uh, talked a little bit about his year that he had in that new offense, kind of his recruiting story, and then he also detailed a little bit of insight as to you know like what's gonna be next for him. So definitely gonna wanna stick around for that. Gonna dig into some early bowl observations, which is just a very fluid process. Some things that will probably get cold taked, but nonetheless, we're gonna talk about it anyways. And then we've got Christmas movies in figuring it out. But first, I've got some Heisman thoughts. Just a little bit. Bryce Young is gonna win the Heisman on Saturday night, and he'll absolutely deserve it. Really reminiscent, if you look back at some of the numbers and some of the things that he's been doing, Reminiscent of the 2017 Baker Mayfield season, I think, does a lot of the same things that peak Baker did. So I have no problem saying Bryce Young, best player in in the country. If I had Heisman ballot, he'd be number one on my list. Don't let any sort of Danny Cannell banging the drum for Kenny Pickett convince you that he's more (laughs) worthy or that Bryce Young's performance against Georgia wasn't darn impressive. He's the best player in college football, in my opinion. Alabama's gonna have three different offensive positions win the Heisman in a seven-year stretch, dating back to Derrick Henry 2015, which is absolutely silly and something that doesn't happen unless Lane Kiffin modernizes that offense back in 2014. But we've talked about that a lot, no need to really dig into that again. Why I wanna talk about the Heisman is a little bit different. We talked the other day with Matt Hayes about this. The real intrigue is going to be who finishes at number two. And I'll get to that in a second because it ties into what I want to talk about. I was fascinated to see who got the invite to New York. And don't you know it? They did the dumbest thing possible yet again. They only invited four guys instead of five. Again, it is the single dumbest thing that they do in college football on an annual basis because... Why do we need the vote to determine that when you could look back and find other instances in which guys have had no chance of winning whatsoever and they've still been invited to New York? 2016, Jabril Peppers went there as the fifth guy, even though nobody in their right mind thought he was going to win the award over Lamar Jackson. Lamar got 526 first place votes and Peppers got 11. But Jabril Peppers, regardless of how you feel about him as a college player, you could tell how much it meant to him to be there and to experience that. And so it blows me away that sometimes they'll be like hey we can only invite three players this year even though in 2017 when they did that then the very next year Saquon Barkley 2017 they had Saquon Barkley as the number four guy and he had more total votes in his favor than Jabril Peppers and Didi Westbrook had the previous year but they didn't invite Saquon Barkley to go so it's they try and make it seem like it's all about the gap But there's no real intrigue. We know Bryce Young is winning the Heisman Trophy, so why not just invite five guys? It turns out this year, 
they shifted the rules. Now, starting in 2021, if you haven't seen this, four players go every single year. That's where they make the cutoff. Why they didn't do it at five, I don't know. They invited everybody and their mother to this thing, but they can't get five dudes there to be immortalized in this unique way and get them to experience what it's like to be nominated for such a prestigious award. And they let everybody vote on it too. <laughs> oh, we're getting to that, Will. We're getting to that. The only reason they ever shifted to having multiple people there and not just the winner there, because back in 1982, they realized, holy crap, we've got Herschel Walker, Eric Dickerson, John Elway. How cool would it be to get all of these guys in the same place? And of course, John Elway being John Elway, he didn't actually show up. His dad probably told the Heisman committee that he'd play for the Yankees if he didn't win the Heisman, <laughs> but whatever, that's a different subject for a different time. That's when this whole thing started. And you might say, hey, what does it really matter if a kid gets a trip to New York or not? Because we already know who's gonna win. If you don't think that matters to those kids, those schools, those hometowns where those kids grew up, you're looking at this wrong. And some of those moments, even with just the class, are they're so iconic. One of the most iconic photos in college football history is Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Randy Moss, Ryan Leaf, all standing there. Even if you're not immortalized by winning the award, to me, we should be rewarding the best five players in America every single year. But the process is flawed. I've talked about how bloated the voting has gotten. And I've brought up before how my brother was covering Ball State for the Star Press, which is the newspaper in Muncie. And they're like, hey, here's your Heisman vote. And he's like, uh, sure. Ryan admittedly, wasn't watching the rest of college football. And it's ironic because now he, he doesn't have a vote and he watches more college football than ever because he crushes it for us on our Big Ten site, Saturday Tradition. By the way, we're gonna have Ryan on in a little bit, probably in like two weeks, I think, to talk some Michigan ahead of the Orange Bowl. The way the votes are handed out is almost comical. Mm -hmm. I was curious about this, so I looked this up. Let's just, we'll stick with the Ball State example right there. The last time a Ball State beat writer would have covered a game involving one of the top 10 Heisman vote getters was the 2013 MAC championship. We're just talking top 10, man. That's it, just top 10. Top 10 in terms of vote getters. Shout out to Jordan Lynch, by the way. I was about so to that say, that had to be Jordan Lynch and IU. Yes. That means in the entire playoff era, a Ball State beat writer not only would have just like not seen a single top 10 Heisman vote getter in person, but they would have also had a built-in distraction to not watch the Heisman frontrunners. That's why this voting process is so stupid because half of the FBS teams are in the group of five and so many are in that exact same spot where you cover an FBS team, so here's your Heisman vote, but those guys aren't seeing these guys in person. And with what the beat demands, you don't always have time to be able to like watch this guy on a, on you know a random you know Saturday night or something like that if you got a game that you're covering and sometimes that that can be a little difficult. I I, I get that. Ryan Rosillo used to talk about how people at ESPN would come up to him and be like, "Hey, do you want a Heisman vote?" And they would basically just give it out to him like it was a hookup at the hot local restaurant that the general public couldn't get into. That's how this was treated by some for an award that is so exclusive and so prestigious. It is baffling that the process works the way that it does. So get this, my gripes with the voting process, it's, it's not about me. 
again, I, I would have these gripes even if I had a vote, though admittedly, I'm hoping to get a vote next year and I'm in conversations to make that happen because I'll be honest, I personally, I'll toot my own horn here. I think I'm in the 95, like 95 percentile of national media who watches football and then has to write and talk about it for a living, just in terms of the amount that I have to consume with this job to be on top of my toes, to do this podcast, to write columns every single day, to go on radio shows, to represent Saturday Down South and not look like an idiot when I come on air. That's right. my goal. That's why I prepare the way that I do. That's why whenever we have these podcast documents, they're like 12, 13 pages. I do this because I care. Okay, so it's not just the fact that from 9.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning to 2 a.m. going into Sunday, that's what I do. It's all the other stuff that goes with it. And look, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sitting there like Cole Kublik breaking down the Fordham left tackle at 6 a.m. On, on a Sunday morning flight. But hey, that is someone who should have a Heisman vote. And I think Cole does, last I checked. Mm -hmm. I usually don't even have like the, the travel time where I'm not watching games like all the people who have to cover it in person every single week. So I don't even have that to take care of, which is you know kind of nice. I always say that all the time. Covering games in person is great, but the tough part is when that means I gotta miss an entire Saturday afternoon slate or something like that because of travel plans. So whatever. Not to knock the beat writers, but you're entrenched in your own in your own team and all those different storylines it's a lot to keep track of and that's what you're paid to cover so you're either going to be biased toward the team that you're watching or you're not going to take time to watch everyone else because you simply don't have that kind of time and i'm not making this up graham couch uh, who is a columnist for the lansing state journal he admitted that he had kenneth walker at number two behind bryce young but he tweeted the problem with the Heisman is it's a QB and momentum award. Most voters, myself included, aren't able to see enough or sophisticated enough to determine the most outstanding player in college football. Will Anderson is likely the best player in the sport, but I didn't see him enough, end quote. You've got voters literally admitting, hey, that guy is awesome. I'll take your word for it though, because I don't have the time to make the necessary part in voting for this award. But hey, if you're a beat writer, here's your vote. You get to be part of the process. You know who else gets to be part of the process? Lee Corso, 86 year old Lee Corso, legend. You cannot tell the story of college football without Lee Corso. I have no problem with Lee Corso having a vote, whatever. But Lee is one of six sectional representatives for the Heisman voting. So is Bob Hamill. Who's Bob Hamill, you ask? I literally used to rub shoulders with Bob back when I was in college, back when I was covering Indiana basketball and I would sit next to him at home games because he used to be at every single Indiana basketball game, not working, but because he was Bob Knight's best friend and he was a longtime columnist at the Bloomington Herald Times in Bloomington. Bob is a legend in the state of Indiana. He's also 84 years old and his last assignment was covering the 1996 Olympics, all right? Huh. Another one of those six sectional representatives, Dick Weiss, who is known more as Hoops Weiss, as he identifies in his Twitter bio. He's been covering college basketball for 8,000 years, according to him. Not exactly Mr. Football, also north of 70, maybe north of 80. Same with Dave Campbell, who has had that magazine for 60 plus years. And Don Creque and Bob Hammond, these guys, all six of your sectional representatives, I believe, I'm pretty sure at least five of six, maybe all six, are north of 80 years old. What is their job, you ask them? 
I'm more confused than ever. So these people right. do now. Okay, I'm glad we're in the weeds here. I'm glad we're in the weeds because this is all there on the Heisman website. You can look up all this stuff. I'm not like texting people asking for this information. This is all out there for the public to see. If you go to the Heisman website and find the balloting information, you'll see their names near the very top of the page and then this description of what they do. The sectional representatives are responsible for the appointment of the state representatives. State representatives are given the responsibility of selecting the voters within their state. The amount of votes depends on the size of the state and the number of the media outlets in the state. So basically, in the year 2021, we're still of the impression that media outlets within a state are a real thing that we should abide by. And this is like the Electoral College. We've got six sectional representatives who may or may not know what the internet is or if it exists, and it's their job to oversee these meetings wherein the state representatives are supposed to have the yearly responsibility of defining the list of voters. So okay, like I said, I'm gonna bring this back to me. I'm in the process of getting a vote, and I'm not gonna reveal who it is, but I've been in, on the radar, I've been put on the radar of the state representative here in Florida. I was too late this year, but I was told there are guys and gals that drop out all the time. This is treated by some, not all, but by some, like a subscription service that you forget to cancel. A Heisman vote. Oh. While, while there are some positions, like the Ball State beat writer, that, that gig, as my brother told me, that, that pretty much, you know, that, that, that goes away if your job goes away, right? Like Ryan didn't take that with him when he left the newspaper there. But that vetting process for state representatives, it can't be overly invasive. It just can't. They don't have the time to do that. They don't have the time to go through that stuff every single year. And besides, like, who has the time to sit there and spend 20 minutes looking into my work history and being like, well, he's covered college football games for 10 years now. He's written about this team and this team and whatever. The process is bloated beyond belief. And I think there's concern about potential blowback for taking votes away in anything in life, especially something as prestigious as the Heisman, right? Like if you told an average person, you no longer have the, the ability to vote on this important thing, people get pissed off. That's just the way the world works, right? That's one of those things that like they won't take it seriously and they'll like be angry that they have to do it. But if you tell exactly. them you can't do it anymore, they're furious. As much as I'd love to have a vote and be part of the change, I'd also have no problem whatsoever if it was announced today that they're like, hey, we're narrowing this down to the top 100 qualified candidates based on your body of work and what you currently do for a living in college football. If someone considers me and then decides I'm not worthy, fine, that's on them, but I'd at least respect the process more than I do right now. We do that with the AP Top 25 voting, and while I'm not crazy about that because it doesn't have enough national writers and it's really beat-centric, it also trims the fat. I wouldn't hate it if past Heisman winners were the only ones who could vote. If we just decided all living Heisman winners, you guys just get to decide this, perfectly fine. I think they take that extremely serious. And even if I don't think that Ron Dane is watching as much football as I am on a given Saturday, I'd at least trust that those guys wouldn't just wanna be lazy and elect anyone into their exclusive club. But there needs to be change because we saw the flaws again with this system. Will Anderson not getting an invite to New York is insane to me. I've watched Aiden Hutchinson. He's very much like Chase Young in the way that he impacts games. And if you're asking me to pick between the two, I'd probably give a slight edge to Will Anderson, a very, very slight edge. They're both tremendous players. They should both be in New York, but that's the problem right there. This shouldn't be Aiden Hutchinson versus Will Anderson. 
When you fill out a ballot, you get three spots. This is why Will Anderson isn't going to New York right here. Besides the fact that I think some voted for CJ Stroud and or Aiden Hutchinson before conference championship weekend, which again, if you voted before conference championship weekend, you should turn your vote in automatically. <laughs> there should be a weeding out process right then and there, but it's not. If you, so if, if this is the case, a lot of voters will be like, well, am I really about to have two of my top three? Well, you're only three. Am I gonna have two of my three spots go to Bama players? Bama fatigue worked against Will Anderson, who by the way, has an FBS record for tackles for loss in a season with 32.5. Or this could have happened. If you're of the belief that Aiden Hutchinson is slightly better than Will Anderson, you're like, well, I checked the box of having the defensive player and I'm not about to leave Bryce Young off my ballot. So I can't give that last spot to another defensive player because that's just too radical. And that is stupid outdated logic right there. We were outdated when Darren McFadden couldn't win the, war, the, the Heisman Trophy as an underclassman, and then Tim Tebow, of course, becomes the first second-year player to win the Heisman in 2007. That's how long it took voters to stop making it a Lifetime Achievement Award and recognize that you can be young and still be the best player in the sport. 2007, not that long ago. Now, we're finally opening up to the possibility that a defensive player can be the best in the sport. Charles Woodson had to play offense to win the award in 1997. Jabril Peppers had to play offense to get to New York in 2016. Chase Young was a finalist in 2019 as a, def as a defensive only player. Manti Teo did that in 2012. He finished as a runner-up. I am guessing that Aiden Hutchinson will be this year's runner-up. He'll be the second defensive only player to finish in the top two of the Heisman voting in the last 40 years. All right. So that's at least some progress. Compare that to 2002 when Terrell Suggs set an NCAA record for tackles for loss and for sacks most yep. ever by a power five player. He had 31 and a half tackles for loss and the dude didn't finish in the top 10 of the Heisman voting. Meanwhile, Iowa quarterback Brad Banks, runner-up, 25 pre-Heisman touchdown passes, um, zero games with 300 yards, zero games with 20 completions. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> oh, by the way, Ken Dorsey, with those massive white sleeves, was fifth in the Heisman voting because everybody knows that when you look back on that great Miami team in 2002, that it was elite because of Ken Dorsey and not because of Wills McGahee, Andre Johnson, Kellen Winslow, Sean Taylor, and a few others, right? <laughs> everybody agrees on that, of course. I think 15 years from now, we'll look back on defensive players winning the award and how long it took in the same way that we look back now on the underclassmen thing and how stupid we were for so long. Because I think only a fraction of the people voting actually care enough to take this process seriously. And because of how outdated and bloated the process has become, it is a lot harder to change than having Let's say, just hypothetically, the, the idea that I threw out, the 100 best college football minds in the media go about this in an intelligent way. All I know is it's bonkers the way that it's still being done. And even in a year in which the Heisman winner is incredibly obvious, we can see the flaws in the process. Will, thoughts about the Heisman? Wow, that was a segment. Uh, as you would say, goodness, that is a lot that is wrong with the Heisman. I mean, well, before I say what I want to say, let me ask you this question. What is taken more seriously, the coach's poll or the Heisman? Hmm. I'm going to say the Heisman because 
if we're just looking at the percentage of people that I think take it seriously, do I think, not to call him out, do I think Mark Stoops is sitting there on Sunday morning like, ah, you know, got to catch up on what happened across college football. I got to fill out my ballot now. No. Whereas I think there are definitely a percentage of Heisman voters who take it seriously. Matt Hayes is a vote. I think Matt Hayes takes it incredibly seriously. I think there are a lot of people in this business who truly look at it on a week by week basis. They try and watch as much football as possible and they're not as regionally biased as maybe it's been in years past. And that's the good thing, but there are still way too many people, way too many people in this field who have a vote who shouldn't. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I just love and hate about college football is that it really just straight up reminds me of like my fantasy football league. You know, like you have like this one year in fantasy football where somebody like bends all the rules or breaks them and then you put in new rules and then you're like, oh wait, these rules don't actually make any sense because they're attractive to this thing. And then you're like five years in and you're like, I don't know which rules are from which issue. And you just kind of look up and you're just like, should we just redo this whole thing? And like, that's where college football is right now. And like, that's where the Heisman is. It's exactly what you just said. It's like, oh, well wait, we can't have underclassmen for uh, Darren McFadden but wait, Tebow wins it, and then a couple years later, Mark Ingram wins it, and then now we oh, love it. It's yeah. like six since then. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, now we love that, actually. Now that's fine. And like, got to be a winner, but like Tebow wins it, and Lamar Jackson wins it. So actually, never mind. You don't have to do that. And it really just, it's like these people vote for whoever they want to vote for, man. Like at the end of the day, it's like they want to make it. It's kind of like the CFP. It's like they want to give you these criteria, but in reality, it's just people just got to wake up and do what they want. And like, I don't want to be this guy, and this is one of those takes that you're probably going to disagree with, but it's like, I just never woke up and was like, man, Aiden Hutchinson, this guy's the best defensive player in, in college football. I just never thought that for a day. He's really good. I think he's good. I don't think he's bad. I think he's great. I, good for the last. I would hope you don't think he's bad because he's no, not. No, yeah. I, good for him. Hit That Ohio State game was nasty out of him. He balled out. Good for him. And he almost had like the inverse of the Chase Young thing where it's like it seemed like in the big games he really showed up. And so like I, I think that's great. You think he's going to finish second? Yeah, I think he's going to finish second. I mean, that's my guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's okay. So let me say it like this too. It's like any logic that you have for Will Anderson not being there then immediately goes away when you think about Ohio State with Chase Young when everybody knew Joe Burrow was going to win that award by a record landslide, but they still had Justin Fields and Chase Young there. And it's like, I, I don't really get where that logic comes into play. But yeah, I, I just think these people kind of do whatever they want, man. I, I don't think there's really, I hate to say I don't think there's anything deeper than that, but it's like they'll give you these kind of, oh, well, it's like this, it's like this. It's like, no, it's not. And like, I hate to be this guy, but it's like watching college football as long as I have, it's like, man, they're doing everything to politely tell you that Michigan's quarterback is just trash, huh? Like their OC got the Bros Award. They have a D end at the Heisman. They have like, it's like, wow, you guys are politely giving every award to everybody but this guy and like that's that's almost what it is it's like well Bryce Young is good he's a representative from Alabama Alabama's good so we got to include him but we don't have to have anyone from Georgia so like I don't get any of it man that's the end of the story I don't I, I, maybe if Bryce Young were worse Anderson would be there that's the only path I see for him but even then it's like who, who okay yeah sure they'd find a way to not do that too the Michigan conversation about like oh defensive player I, I don't know if that if that also has something to do with it because Jabril Peppers gets there in 2016. I, I secretly think that they put Jabril Peppers in New York just so they can do all the Charles Woodson throwback stuff. Yep. It's like, oh, it's been nearly 20 years since this, and, and they get to talk about that, and it's it, it creates this little bit of intrigue, and I have no problem with them doing it. It's just baffling to see it took them four decades after they first decided to invite more than just the Heisman winner to come up with a concrete number of how many people to invite. 
and it just seems all over the place. And even if you read the website, go back, go and read the website. That's that's what I did for the majority of this stuff. It's, it's all on there. They'll try and give you examples year to year of why this gap suggested that this player deserved to go and this player didn't go. It's like, just tally the votes, just give me, give me the five best. That's it, just send them to New York. And so that's kind of why I think, well, you know, they've already factored in the voting in terms of why Will Anderson isn't gonna be there. Will Anderson isn't going to be finishing in the top four. We, we know that, that's why he's, he's not there. And so it's, it is a process that needs tweaking and it is tough to see a path in which something like this gets tweaked because it just takes so long to change this stuff. That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, we could almost do a whole segment on like Heisman winners that weren't even the best player on their own teams when you factor in like defensive stuff like that. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's baffling. Well, obviously we have a lot of time to talk about Heisman stuff, but um, yeah, it's, it, it just seems like you have to be a certain criteria that they make up every year, but whatever. Let's move on to some early bowl observations. And I, I say this because I realize there are some of these that could get cold taked in a hurry. So take them with the current context and I'll try and not step on my own toes too much here. But few observations from the bowl games that uh, we saw rolled out on Sunday. And I know I said the other day that I was gonna dig into more of these games in the midweek pod, but I, there are just so many things that can change right now with opt-out, with coaching changes, injuries, whatever the case may be. So again, I'm gonna try and, and not get cold tech. That's, that's the goal here today. First one, I think the best individual matchup of bowl season, Jameson Williams, Sauce Gardner. Oh yeah. Sauce, Sauce Gardner, if you haven't seen this guy, you don't know who he is quite yet. He's the dude that Pro Football Focus likes to remind us. He has been so good in press coverage that you'd be better off throwing the ball into the ground than throwing his way. Mm -hmm. You'd have a higher quarterback rating if you did just that. I'd be stunned if Sauce wasn't shadowing Williams throughout this game. Pair of first round picks, big time money game for both of them. We saw Auburn really stymie that Bama offense when Williams was out in the second half. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to be totally taken out of this game, but you would at least think that Cincinnati has a favorable chance to be able to match up with him in a weird way, a better chance for Cincinnati to match up on Jameson Williams than Georgia had. What does it look like if Jameson Williams can't get that separation because we know that John Mechie isn't going to be out there? Does Bama have to get creative with how it finds dudes in space? Do they need more from Slade Bolden and my guy Billingsley? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, they're going to need more from them. Another observation. I love that we get two of these super intriguing non-conference local rivals playing in their respective states in bowl games. We've got South Carolina UNC, Battle of the Carolinas. We've got Florida UCF, the game that everybody couldn't wait for. South Carolina UNC feels like it'll come down to if Sam Howell plays or not. And if he doesn't, like, uh, you know what? South Carolina's probably gonna have a much better chance to be able to win this game. But my guess is that he's not going to play. And I, I say this because he was nursing an upper body injury down the stretch. Might not be crazy about the idea of JJ Anigbari rushing off the edge, landing on him. That doesn't feel like a lot of fun, but we'll wait and see. And if the idea of Mac Brown getting an entire Gatorade cooler of mayo dumped on him doesn't fire you up, I don't know what does. Oh yes. Florida UCF. It feels like, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be a buzzkill because I am excited for this matchup, but it feels like we're seeing this game being played at the worst possible time at any point with a three-year radius on either side. Meaning 
This game would have been awesome at any point in the previous three years, and it's probably going to be awesome at any point in the next three years. Mm -hmm. But instead, we get it right now. Is it still gonna make an otherwise sleeper of a game in Tampa a lot more interesting? Absolutely, no doubt about it. This is the exact type of thing that we need to see more of in the future as these bowl executives try and make their game interesting in a world in which the playoff will be expanded and bowl games will feel less and less important. Will, are you are your, uh, your UCF guys? They, they fired up about this one? Oh man, they're, they're so fired up. And I think that both sides, I mean, I think you're right about the three years thing for sure, but I think that in this situation, both sides kind of have a built-in excuse. Like, it's like house money. So, and I think that's what it took for, you know, like <laughs> one side to not throw a riot over this game. But I, I think that they, like, both sides are super fired up. And I think this is one of those things that, you know, either way, it's, it's going to be almost like a version of Georgia Cincinnati where it's like, well, you know, we didn't really try. We did it. And it's like, I think that... I, I think that if you're a Florida fan, you're already happy about your head coach coming in. And if you're a UCF fan, you feel great in the recruiting and the direction the program is going. So it's almost like, like I said, it's house money on both sides. It's going to be a fun game almost no matter what happens, you know, barring injury or something. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of my friends are like going down to that one. And it's going to be a great time, man. Speaking of UCF, former UCF coach Josh Heupel, Purdue, Tennessee is the empty the bag game. That, that is what the Music City Bowl is going to be. Mm-hmm. Hypo and Brom are the guys who are going to be sitting with their families on Christmas and they'll just be counting down the seconds until they can sneak off into their offices and dial up new looks. <laughs> they are those guys 100% through and through. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing because it feels like maybe the three or four best players in this game are in jeopardy of not playing. We already know that besides Tyon Evans not playing, he's off to Louisville by the way. Alante Taylor opted out. He's off to the NFL draft. Can't blame him at all when he stuck it out two different times with coaching changes at Tennessee. He worked his tail off to go from being a converted receiver into probably one of the best corners in all of college football. Mm -hmm. He would have been matched up on David Bell, who has an outside chance of going in the first round in this year's draft. He's what made Purdue watchable when Rondell Moore missed all of those games the previous two years. So uh, hoping that he plays, but we'll kind of wait and see on that. But yeah, over under for this one is still 60, which is the most of any SEC bowl game. Oh, let's Could go. have some big time fireworks. Hopefully for Purdue's sake, this game goes a little bit differently than the last time they were there against Auburn. <laughs> and that game was over from the jump. Oh, real quick. I was about to, I meant to say that about the UCF game. It's like, that's one thing Auburn fans will tell you that Gus is just not good in bowl games. And it's like, yeah, that's a great example right there. That was his one bowl game where it was like, hey, <laughs> hold on. But yeah, like th- th- that bowl game against Purdue was just insane for Auburn. And, and and yeah, like you said, I mean, both these offenses are super high flying. And like, I, I think, you know, we low key, it, that's the great thing about 13 teams making the field is like, there are going to be so many sneaky good matchups that you're going to flip it on and be like, oh. If we get blowouts galore, that would be a disappointment. I, I don't think we will. And I, I, I haven't seen the, f- I haven't tallied the final number of favorites on the SEC side. I think it was something like nine, nine of the 13 games SEC team is favored. I could be wrong about that. And that might, again, this stuff is all gonna change with opt-outs. Who knows, yeah. No idea, and especially that game, it feels like opt-outs could really change the overall result of that one. I am super fired up about Ole Miss Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, despite the fact that we are not going to have Jeff Levy. I think Jeff Levy's not, actually, last I checked, Jeff Levy's just going to be going to Oklahoma and not coaching in that game. 
if I'm not mistaken. No idea. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll find out more about that. I don't think we've actually found out about that as of this recording. Let's just pretend like we didn't find out about that. I'm going to assume he's not going to be coaching in that game. But either way, I love the non-playoff New Year's Six Bowls. That feels super important for both programs. Mm -hmm. I think for Baylor and Ole Miss, both of whom kept their year two coaches, despite a lot of speculation that they wouldn't, potential national coach of the year type of matchup. I'm guessing that we're also going to get a pissed off Matt Corral. That is the upside of him not getting invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. And mm -hmm. I know that I probably should have included that earlier. I personally would have liked to have seen Matt Corral in New York. I understand CJ Stroud had the numbers, but like kind of look at what Matt Corral meant to his program. Best regular season win total in program history. CJ Stroud, if we're arguing whether the guy is like in the top three in terms of offensive players at Ohio State, what are we really doing here? That would be my pushback, but whatever. Um, it's truly been appointment viewing the last two years watching Matt Corral. And I am really excited to see him play one more time and against a really, really good Baylor defense, a defense that got that great defensive stand to close out the Big 12 championship. Maybe this isn't a fair comp because the surroundings were more favorable for Matt Corral. But as a college quarterback, I think I would take him over Eli. That's gonna piss off some people. But take away the Manning name and go back and watch them play and, and look at the numbers. I think touchdown passes still favored Eli in terms of like he had 31 and, and Corral in his pre-draft years had, had like, I think he only ended up with 20, but then you add in the rushing touchdowns and the overall production and the efficiency and the lack of turnovers, all that stuff is, is this past season. I think that's gotta be taken into account. Um, anyway, I feel like you got a factor in playing for David Cutcliffe, though. I think Blaine Kiffin with Eli Manning would be scary. <laughs> More favorable surroundings. Not, not going to deny that. It's, it's at least a debate at this point. And two years ago, nobody would have expected, oh, Matt Corral versus Eli Manning? Like, who's, who's going to, who's deserves to be considered the better Ole Miss quarterback? But I, I'm sure I'm going to get pushback on that. And a lot of people say, well, Eli didn't really have much to play with. And Matt Corral definitely did. Next year is going to be a changing of the guard with Ole Miss, but I, I'm just excited to kind of see this one last time, see this offense play out. I would expect a very big Ole Miss following in New Orleans for that one. Archie Manning is probably going to have a thousand people there himself with his own family. So <laughs> should should be a great game to watch, though. Really looking forward to that one. Last, hold on, real quick. Throwback to one of our favorite games ever, though. Uh, is 2019 LSU versus Ole Miss, and we'll get, we get to see Dave Aranda and Lane Kiffin in a rematch. Um, and like, Lane wasn't there though. No, 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 no. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm not Lane Kiffin. Sorry, that personnel group. And we want, we, we're very pro John Rice Plumley podcast. We just want a little bit <laughs> of John Rice Plumley. You know what I'm saying? You're absolutely right. I knew that Lane Kiffin wasn't there yet, but obviously that offense was amazing. You know, in that game. So, and we've talked about, you know, three down linemen, three four that. Um, Baylor and Matt and uh, Aranda like to run and so it's like yeah you got to get them outside we saw that against Georgia too just kind of like moving these big guys around and that, that's the style of defense that Aranda still plays so I don't know that could be a very fun up and down game for Ole Miss especially in kind of the swan song for Corral. Here's a question for you I went back and looked this up the other day do you know the only time that Lane Kiffin's offense has faced Dave Aranda's defense when it was who it was with what the final score was? Dave Aranda versus Lane Kiffin. I mean, uh, let's see. I have no idea because Aranda left last. I don't know. 2016. Okay. Bama LSU. Oh, duh. Okay. 
Bama won 10 to nothing. Yep, yep, that was that weird Jalen year, yep. Man, that, yeah, very different. I hate to say different era of football, but I think Lane has definitely learned some stuff. They only score one combined touchdown in this game, I'll be surprised. Yeah, no, especially with Corral. And like, yeah, like I was looking the other day again about uh, Tebow versus Cincinnati and like he had like 400 or 500 total yards in that game. And it's like, that feels like what this could be for Corral. It's like, hey, this is my last time you're gonna see me. I'm gonna send you all off with some parting gifts and let you know who I am. Last game of the year, can't hold anything back. Max Johnson in the transfer portal for LSU. One scholarship quarterback left, it is Garrett Nussmeyer who does not want to burn a red shirt. Will, how many years of eligibility do you have left and would you be willing to play quarterback in a bowl game? Listen, man, I thought they'd be calling on me for offensive line for the first half of the year, so I've been kind of bulking up, not really in QB shape right now. Uh, yep. I'll let you know uh, how kind of dire LSU's QB situation is. We have two walk-ons on the roster right now. I added one of them yesterday to send me a highlight tape so I could see what he was about, and he replied to me. And, like, that's where our quarterback situation is. And the guy's awesome. It's Kevin Fox's son, but that's kind of, yeah, we have one dude who's like a two-star walk-on, another dude who literally doesn't have a star. That's the guy I was talking about. So... Yeah, we'll see, man. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, idea. Just going to throw this out there. Top of the dome. There is a, a lot to at stake, potentially, for a, a quarterback who comes into this game for LSU and wins. Because <laughs> if, if you just have walk-on tryouts, right? Mm -hmm. So you have walk-on tryouts, make it a national thing. you got time. You don't have to just go on campus and just get somebody from the flag football team. No, 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 no. Get, have a national walk-on tryouts, have somebody sign up because if Garrett Nussmeyer really doesn't want to burn his red shirt, then whatever. And you, you incentivize it by saying this, here, we're gonna give you an opportunity to play in one game. And if you win, and I know that they'd probably be willing to do this, you get your walk-ons NIL deal. <laughs> and it would be significant. That's the incentive that we need. I know that's a little bit pay for play, whatever, you can work around that, all right? If the guy from Kansas can go out here and get an Applebee's deal after catching one pass, I think we can make an exception for the guy who goes to LSU as a walk-on and wins a bowl game. So all incentive-based contract, national search, I don't care who's calling plays, but make it happen. That, that makes this bowl game way more interesting. I don't think we're very far away from that idea happening. Yeah, I just I just want to let you know how down bad we are. In one of my LSU chats, it was like that meme with like the girl yelling at the cat. It was like, we need to burn the red shirt. He needs more reps. And I was like, you want him to have more reps with Jake Peets? How's that going to help him? It's, like, it's just going back and forth. I'm like, what is the best possible outcome? Because it's like, yeah, I don't know what the situation with Nussmeyer is. Obviously, his dad was mad when he wasn't playing, so he ended up starting losing the Arkansas game. I mean, I'm at a point where it's like, hey, whatever, man. Like, it's one game, who cares? LSU somehow hasn't had a losing season in 20 years, so maybe that's really what's on the line. But whatever they decide to do, I've already just bought into the new coaching staff and I don't really care anymore. Like you asked me before the A&M game, like, hey, like, what do you think? And I was like, win-win. Either I don't ever have to see this team again or we get a bowl game. And this is, <laughs> this is option two. So here we go. I don't know what in the world LSU's gonna do, but that bowl game, oh boy. Ugh. That's, that's going to be a little bit rough stretching the field offensively for, for LSU if they've got to walk on. But then again, hey, in the year of Zabulia Noland. Oh, yeah. Hey, never say never to the idea of anybody coming out of the woodwork and stealing the show. I'm going to say over under 50 and halfback counters by Jake Peets. Really just ride out, just run that counter over and over and over again like he did with Florida. It's like, buddy, what, what five plays I knew, three of them are gone now, right? Hey, do what works. Hope for the best. Maybe Damone Clark can get a pick six, scoop and score, something like that. Defense is your offense in that game. 
I'm gonna probably set up a bull mania group on ESPN sometime in the next few days here. I'll share the link in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook page and we'll tweet it out as well. I prefer confidence pool, but I also realize people, a lot of people would just rather pick games. So I might just do the straight up thing to make it easier unless there is a, lo- a, like, a, a long list of people that are just like, no, don't do straight up, do a confidence pool. We can make this work. And then maybe I'll just say, y'all are smart. You can figure this out and we can do confidence pool. So leaning straight up, but maybe confidence pool, we'll see. I will shoot out that link as soon as I get that up and running. Do you have like a number one confidence pick in your head? Like if you had to pick one right now, what would it be? Um, It'd probably be Bama against Cincinnati. Yeah. I, and I just outlined why I think it could be a little bit of a tougher go for the Bama offense against Cincinnati's defense compared to what we saw against Georgia. But I, I'm going to have the, the 247 talent composite stats about how rare it is to see a team like that even in the field and what it could potentially mean over the course of 60 minutes. I'm not discounting Cincinnati and what it has done to get to this point, but that would be, that'd be very, very surprising. Um, that, that, that'd probably be my number one choice as of right now. Is there any, any that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, after talking about it, man, I feel like I feel like I like that Arkansas game. I don't know. I feel like I mean, like I hate to say it, like I hate to just be a homer or whatever, but it's like it feels like both of those top two games. Like if Georgia loses to Michigan, that's going to be worse than them losing to Bama for sure. Like I feel like they're going to push Michigan around too. Yeah. I I don't know. I was also thinking about Kentucky and Iowa, but then I was like, oh man, but. Iowa is so good at forcing turnovers, and all Kentucky did, does when it's bad is turn the ball over. So, oh, never bet Iowa. Iowa's one of those teams that you just like, uh uh-uh. uh. So, that, that one came to mind, but I, I might have a little bit of pushback on that. Speaking of Kentucky, let's get to my interview with Kentucky running back Chris Rodriguez. Great catching up with C Rod. Got to talk about this new offense. You got to play in kind of what it feels like to be a feature back and to, to have the the physical toll that it that it takes on your body for a season in the SEC. Um, got to get into some Will Levis stuff as well, and then what's in store for his future. So here is Chris Rodriguez. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Chris Rodriguez. I love it when a good nickname sticks. On this podcast, you are referred to as C-Rod. I knew that was the nickname coming into the year, but outside of your family, do people call you Chris anymore, or is that like kind of a thing of the past? Nah, I don't. I actually, now that I think about it, I don't think anybody ever calls me Chris other than my family or uh, my girl. Um, everybody's gotten kind of gotten the habit of calling me C-Rod. Uh, growing up, I kind of. I've always wanted to be called C-Rod or, like, CJ because I'm a junior. And uh, when I got here, I kind of told Smoke. Uh, he was like, bro, I'm not going to call you Chris. And I was like, well, call me CJ or whatever. And he was like, nah. And then uh, we had D-Rob. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to call you C-Rod. So Smoke started calling me C-Rod. And then Chris Oates and Keaton. And then next thing you know, everybody's calling me C-Rod. You know, I I think it's just something about people named Chris, which is kind of weird. I have like four people in my life named Chris, and I don't call any of them Chris. So like if you are named Chris, you're just pretty much destined for 
for a nickname. So like, I, I, I think C-Rod yeah. is, is better than CJ. As somebody who, went, I, I'm, my middle name is John, so Connor John, I went by, by CJ for one year, I yeah. think, in second grade. You made the smart move. Like, should we? Should everybody just refer to you? Like, do you like when when you hear it on a broadcast that, that when people call you C Rod as well? Yeah, I, I do. It, uh, it just stands out more to me, I guess. Yeah, you told me back in January that one of the reasons that you came back was because you had never really got to hear your name called as a starter at Kroger Field, and usually guys in that spot don't have an actual NFL decision to make. But you did last year because of how efficient you were with the work that you did get and because of how yep. dominant you were down the stretch. You got to be that guy this year. Your second team All-SEC by the coaches. Should have been first team, in my opinion. But you did get that work that you had been waiting for. How much different did your body feel at the end of the regular season this year compared to last year? Yeah, well, um, first, I appreciate you for saying I should be first team. You know, it means a lot that uh, I'm even, you know, in the mentions. But um, <laughs> this year, man, I mean, my body is, is hurting. I mean, last year, you know, we played the All-SEC, but, you know, I wasn't I wasn't starting, so it wasn't really that bad. Uh, but this, like, this season, it's been just like, man, like, now I see what it feels like. Now I see why, you know, Benny and AJ were in the treatment, getting treatment, like, 24-7. Uh, but... I mean, it's 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 bearable. Like I was, I would say it's bearable. But um, you know, just I'm just happy to you know keep playing. Sunday and Monday for you has got to be very much low key with the way that you yeah. run, especially all the contact that you bring on. Like, do you pretty much just say like middle of the week once the season hits? Like you're going to be getting treatment on those days, and it's it's pretty much like you're not really going full go most days. Like, how exactly does that break down? Uh, so Gabe, our uh, our trainer, he tells us, you know, like you're never going to be a hundred percent throughout the season. Uh, maybe you get a little bit better after the game. You might be at like forty percent. You might you can't do too much. Uh, than that. Monday comes around, then you're maybe get a little treatment, get a little better, at a little like sixty percent. Uh, so that's kind of where I go by. Like I'm like, all right, Gabe. Like I li always listen to Gabe. He's like, yeah, you're never gonna be better. So, um, oh sorry, <clears throat> but um, yeah, Gabe always tells us that. Wait, can you repeat the question? My bad. I'm sorry. Oh no 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 no, you're you're good. I, I'm I'm fascinated by what you're. Sunday and Monday looks like as a guy who's you don't just it, it's one thing like to, to take on a lot of hits but you deliver the hits as a running back mm -hmm. and now to be in this role where you know I, I'm sure it's all about just having your body fresh Sunday and Monday for you what does that kind of look like how does that break down in terms of like what you're doing you know in terms of practice and actually being able to feel like you can move and how long does it kind of take you to get back midweek to make you feel like all right we're, we're good to go for another Saturday yeah, so basically throughout the week, it's like you're never going to be, you know, 100%. So I kind of go by, like, you know, you get a little better each day, and hopefully by Saturday, you know, you get a shot here and there. You take probably take a pill to try to ease the pain for, like, a little bit. But Saturday is always, like, once you see the crowd and hear the crowd, you just kind of forget about most of that stuff until you get hit for, like, the first time. 
you got to play in this modern offense with my doppelganger, Liam Cohen, which is uh, a testament to, to your skill set because in so many ways, you're a throwback guy. You're always falling forward. Your yards after contact, always impressive. And you're the feature back who can really wear teams down, which is why you're at the best at the end of the season. What people don't know yeah. about you is that you used to have these games in high school where you'd have like 40 carries on a Friday night. One time you hit 51. What did your Saturdays yeah. look like after that? Was it was it comparable to kind of what you're going through right now? No. In high school, I used to feel like crap. Like, I used to <laughs> not even, like, take my pants off after the game and just go home. And after I remember after that game, when I had 51 carries, I literally – I walked into Walmart with my girdle on and my uh, – I had my uh, rib protector on still, and they were like, "Chris, like, take a shower, go and take." I was like, "Bro, I cannot do it. Like, it's it, it, everything's gonna be closed. I'm gonna go home. There's gonna be nothing to eat." So I'm like, "Nah." But yeah, high school man, it was it was bad. Uh, that actually, that game I had 51 carries. Uh, I had it was the last play of the game. It was 50 to 51. We were winning, and they tossed the ball back. You know, like a little, they're trying to score or whatever. I made all three tackles. And I remember after that, everybody stormed the field, like my teammates, and I'm like, listen, do not touch me. I'm hurting. <laughs> I'm just ready to get home. Okay, I swear to you, and I, I'm not BSing, I'm not blowing smoke at all. I was planning on asking you about that exact play because I've, I've talked to your high school coach, Jared Zito, your coach at Olam, yeah. and he told me about that that exact instance and how nuts that was to be like, all right, I know you've had so much work, but I need you to do one more thing for me. Get out there, play linebacker. I need you to, to tackle the ball carrier three different times. And it's, and it's on your huddle. So for those listening to this, I suggest go watch it. I think it's at like the 120 mark on, on your huddle. It's incredible to, to look at, especially given what your body went through. My question is, have you ever tried to get Stoops to put you in for a, a final defensive play like that? Maybe not this year where you have to take on the workload that you have, but maybe in, in years past, have you ever been like, hey, let me go out there and make a play here on fourth down to close this game out? <laughs> nah, you know, I always want to, but, you know, um, our defense is, you know, top notch. And I, I have faith in those dudes to make plays on fourth down. But, I mean, I would want to get out there and, you know, make a tackle on fourth down, you know, to seal the deal. Uh, there was actually one play um, a couple years back. I was on kickoff for or kickoff, and I don't remember what game it was, but I was so close to making a tackle, and I was just, I just blew it. And I was like, man, I, I beat myself up about it. But uh, hopefully uh, I can make a tackle within this next game. Uh, in the bowl game, try to get on kickoff or punt team or something like that and go make a tackle. Do you have a tackle in your career? Yeah, uh, actually two. Um, the bowl game where we played Virginia Tech. Was it Virginia Tech? It was Virginia, one of the bowl games. Uh, yeah, no, actually what it was Virginia Tech. Uh, through the interception, I tackled the dude on their sideline. I think that counts. And then that counts. There was yeah, and then there was one uh the Vandy game where uh it was like the last place of the second quarter, we threw a Hail Mary and they had their receiver back deep and uh me and DK tackled him on the sideline. 
when that happens, do you get to go watch it back in film room and be like, break that, like you're sitting there and you got to like break down the film of, of what exactly that looks like. Or is, or is that one that you just kind of forget about? And you're like, all right, we don't really want to watch the interception. No, I, that's one of the plays that I go back and look for. I'm like, man, I just, did y'all see my tackle? As soon as I made it, I went back to the sideline. I was like, man, did y'all see me? I made a tackle, man. I'm lit. That was probably one of my, like, I love tackling, even though like I can't really tackle, but when I do, it's like, man, did y'all see that? <laughs> <laughs> I love your, uh, your recruiting story because, uh, I think it's so peak Kentucky. The only way it could probably be more peak Kentucky is if you came from Ohio or Kentucky instead of Georgia, but you were the small school kid and the big time programs weren't coming out to see you. You didn't do all the seven on sevens. Matt House, who was a Kentucky assistant at the time, story goes, he comes to practice, sees one of your teammates and your coach is like, hey, watch my running back and don't just watch three plays on huddle because he's, he, you need to be able to watch his acceleration, watch him get to the next level, and he'll just grow on you. So sure enough, he does that, and the rest is sort of history. You run like you're still trying to prove people wrong. Do you think about that, even at this stage of your career, about not being a top 1,000 recruit? Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of let the high school, like, the past be the past, but it's more as, like, you know, these colleges, they kind of skipped over me. Uh, so I'm a, every time I play, it's like I'm I'm proving to you that you should have watched me. Like, there were so many running backs ahead of me uh, when I was in high school. And, you know, uh, shout out to them, whatever they're doing now. But uh, I know some of them that aren't really doing anything. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I thought they were great athletes out of high school, but – I've always like had my um, support system. Always like, man, like Chris, you're the number one back, and uh, just just a great support system. And um, I believe in them, and they. I just wanted to prove everybody else wrong. That's really what, what my mindset was. University of Georgia. I, I asked you about this before. <laughs> I knew it was well, up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know this year didn't go the way that you didn't go the the way that you wanted to, but. I mean, you yeah. have some extra juice when you play Georgia. It'd be weird if you didn't, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Does it mean something to you to know that your career kind of played out the way that you did? It's, you know, to borrow a Toby Keith line, it's a how do you like me now type of thing to be able to kind of look back and be like, hey, man, you know, I'm the one who's earning all conference. Like, y'all don't have a running back who's, who's earning all conference this year. I could have been this for you. Like, is there is there a part of you that still kind of thinks about something like that? Uh, yeah and no, like, yes, because I am on those lists, and um, I didn't even realize that there wasn't, one of their running backs wasn't on the list, but, um, no, because, like, they, they have great running backs, they, their running backs had success, uh, why, why are they not in the conversation, I don't know, uh, that's not, you know, what I, what I specialize in, so I don't know anything about that, but, um, you know, I just, I'm a very humble guy, and I don't really look at anything like I'm the, I should be the number one or I should be the best. I don't know uh, the numbers on this, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who does have this, but it felt like you saw just way less loaded fronts in this offense because the passing game was there, and you guys could actually stretch the field in that way in, in ways that you haven't been able to do in years past. How different was that compared to the types of defenses you would see the last few years? 
man, the last few years it was like they just knew what we were gonna do. It was it was either we were gonna run with the running back, we're gonna throw a screen, or we're gonna run with the quarterback. And uh, a lot of teams really didn't believe that we can throw, so they kind of played us man the whole game. Uh, but this year, it's just been different, you know. Having Wandell, Josh, Epps, and then also having Will, who can run out of the back or out of the backfield, uh, while still being able to throw the ball on the money every time. Uh, you know, it kind of spread everybody out. And uh, for me, it's just been like, man, is this what it's like to play in the NFL? Like, is this what they do for the most part? Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's been a lot. It's been a lot better, and it's been a lot more comfortable for me as well too. Be honest though, when you see Will hurdle a dude, and you know that you haven't done that yet, how much does it frustrate you? A lot. I tell him all the time <laughs> after the game. Actually, you know, he did it once before. I forgot what game it was, but after the Louisville game specifically, I was like, Will. One, he had he had four touchdowns before anybody. So I told him, I was like, Will, you're not going to pull the ball anymore. Like, I need to go get one touchdown. <laughs> and then and then he freaking hurdles a dude, and I'm like, Will, are you serious? You did exactly what I wanted to do all year, but I've been scared to do it. But you just did it, and then you made it look easy. And I said, now you're definitely not getting the ball no more. Unless <laughs> it's a designated <laughs> You guys are going to do one of those plays where it's it's on like the two-yard line in the bowl game. I'm waiting for that. It's on the two-yard line. You guys both just kind of have dual possession going into the end zone. Has that happened with you guys yet? No, not that I think about it. No. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be cool. I think I want to do that. I, I've actually uh, – Lynn and Smoke did that a couple years back in the bowl game too. I remember that Smart. play. Uh, you said what? I, it's smart, you know. Get get two guys yeah, in there. Yeah, get it, two guys with a full head of steam. Yep, uh, we'll probably do it sometime. I mean, you know, bowl game is we want to win the game, but it's also like let's go have fun. <laughs> I'll tell Liam to to go dial that one up uh, for you guys. That'd, that'd, be a, that'd be a really fun look. Um, please, please tell me. Yeah, please tell me that you got to meet Waka Flocka after the Florida win. Uh yeah, but I didn't want to be like a fanboy or nothing. Uh, I, I so me and Walker are like we're from the same place. Uh, I grew up listening to Walker Flocker. Um, and then when I seen him at the game, I was like, "There's no way he's here." And then <laughs> day, he was in the equipment room just chilling. Uh, so I seen him. I was like, "Yeah, man, I'm from Riverdale too, or whatever." He was like, "No, you're not." I was like, "Bro, yes, I am. I have no reason to lie to you." He was like, that's what's up, dog. And, uh, that was kind of it. I mean, I see him after the game. And I say, appreciate you uh, signing to the game. And he was, like, he was like, yeah, thanks for having me. And then that was it. I didn't even get a picture with him. I didn't take a picture of him. But, uh, you know, it was good to have somebody like that come around. You did get a moment, though. And a moment, I mean, that's that's something you won't forget anytime soon. And that, that night, I imagine, you won't forget. Oh, yeah, that night was crazy. How surreal was I'll never that? Never forget that. You said what? How surreal was was that that whole experience that night? Man, like growing up playing football or any sport really, uh, you you grow up like 
wishing for one of those moments. Like, man, I wonder what that would be like if I was playing right now. Or I wonder how how they feel right now. And for us to pull off that win and for them, this everybody to storm the field, it was just like, is this happening right now? Like, is this real life? Uh, it just, it was, it was something like I will never forget. Uh, I mean, the fans like storming the field and then the speech that coach gave after and Waka Flocka in there we're playing his music. He's jumping up and dancing with us, man. That's that's like a once in a lifetime thing. How much different is that that game day atmosphere now compared to even back when you were taking visits? And I, I remember, you know, you, you told me this back in January when you first heard, like, you know, when House tells you you got to come up to Kentucky for a visit. You're like, isn't, isn't that a basketball school? And it, you know, at, at the time it was it was a fair thing to say. And now, obviously, looking back on the, the the run that you guys have been on for the last four or five years here, I don't think anybody would necessarily look at that in the same sort of light. In fact, when people say it, it just shows that they haven't been paying attention to the body of work that you guys have done. But how much of has that really that that experience, that game day atmosphere, changed in that time that you've been in Lexington? Uh, you know, it hasn't changed a lot because our fans are like. We have great fans. I mean, last year it was it was kind of odd because we couldn't, you know, have complete capacity. But, um, you know, <clears throat> it's just different for me because when I was when I was here, like my freshman year with Benny, I wasn't really playing. I was just on the sideline. I was the guy that's trying to get the crowd hype on third down or, you know, trying to get our sideline hype or whatever. But, uh, you know, now that you're playing and you're on the field, and even when you break a big run, it's just like the crowd goes crazy and it just feels intense. Uh, but I've actually met a couple people like who said, like, man, we're a football school, you know, uh, appreciate it. But you know, shout out to our basketball team; they're doing their thing right now. It's, a, it's I think we we're kind of even. You know, it's not like just a basketball or just a football or just a volleyball. It's a, everything school. That's right. Got to include volleyball. I mean, volleyball programs is, oh, yeah. is a juggernaut at this point. Um, I, I got to ask, oh, yeah. and, and I, I say this, even though this is a pro C-Rod podcast, I bang the drum for you to be first team all SEC before the season, but I got to ask this mm-hmm. question. The fumbles. You've had to work yeah. through it this year. When I take your running style into context, for me, it would sometimes look like you were focused on delivering the blow and that's what would allow a defender to come in and maybe poke the ball free. For you, is yep. that a physical thing? Is it mental? Or is it maybe a little bit of both? No, I definitely think it's a mental thing. Uh, just kind of like, so the Missouri game, for instance. I, like you said, I was trying to deliver the blow. Uh, I thought I was just going to walk in the end zone and then the dude just punched it out at the right time. Uh, and then right before the Florida game, Coach LC comes up to me and he was like, yo, like, hey, get that junk out of your head, man. Just play football. Do what you know how to do. Don't even think about it. So in the game, I really wasn't thinking about it. Um, and I didn't have any turnovers that game. And um, I don't know if you've seen the picture or not, but I was holding the ball. Like, I was holding the ball with holding my wrist or whatever. And I was just like, I don't even remember doing that. I just remember playing. Like, I was playing to win the game, not to 
not fumble. And that's kind of, you know, my mindset now is just like, go in and don't think about it. Like, if you think about it, it's going to happen. That, that, the, um, it was in New Mexico State where Wandell broke off that long run. My mindset was just like, oh, I don't want to mess this up for Wandell. Like, he just had a huge game. And then I went in and that happened. But, uh, yeah, I think it's more of a, like, mental thing. Uh, you can work on it all you want, but if you don't have the right mental, then anything can happen at any given time. I think there are certain coaching staffs that would have been like, in a nutshell, hey, this this running back is fumbling a lot. We're going to take the ball out of his hands, and that hasn't been the case for you. And you look at your workload, what mm-hmm. you've had the last month or so, they've allowed you to be able to, to work through that, and they've been rewarded for it. How much does that kind of mean to you, seeing that they still had that faith in you, and it wasn't like, hey, you're going to go sit on the bench and think about this, and you're 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 pretty much out of a job for the rest of the season? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I before the season, Coach Stoops told me, like, hey, I, I believe in you. And uh, before he made me start, he was like, I believe in you, and we're going to make you the starter. So that just showed me that he has a lot of trust in me, and uh, and I know it. Uh, even when the fumbles happened, you know, he didn't hesitate to put me back in there. Uh, it just it just goes a long way. Uh, even Coach Settle, he was like, man, listen, it happens. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to work on it, and we're going to get rid of it. We got a game to win. We need you. And he said, we love you. We need you, and let's get ready to go play. Last one here before some rapid fire, and I'm sure it's a question you've been getting by people people close to you lately. Um, you've technically got two years of eligibility left after this year because 2020 didn't count against anyone. You redshirted 2018, even though you're just finishing your fourth year in Lexington. But have you decided anything about your NFL future, or do you have a timeline of when you'd like to be able to make that decision? No, there's no timeline, uh, but I haven't really thought about it yet. Uh, I'm kind of like 50-50 right in the middle of doing both things. But um, when I when I decide, uh, everybody will know. All right, I got five rapid-fire questions for you. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Best NIL. Like a... Go ahead. Okay. All right. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We got you. We got you. <laughs> Best NIL experience so far was what? Getting a car. I mean, goodness gracious. I like. I was thinking you were going to say, oh, yeah, you know, we got free barbecue at a local restaurant. T- to be able to say that, I mean, that's goodness gracious. Do you want to give him a shout out right now? Yeah, man. Shout out to Don Franklin, man. Uh, they got me in a 2021 Durango. Man, it's, it's been an honor working with them. All right. Uh, hardest hitter in the SEC who isn't on Kentucky? Ooh. Uh, ooh, that's a good one. I have to go, ooh, uh, Florida, their linebacker, number 18. I forget his name. They Two, got, three. Is that, oh, no, because Ventral Miller's been out for the year. That wouldn't be Brenton Cox either. He's on the defensive line. I'm blank on who 18 was. Is 18? Could have been Zach Carter, defensive end there, but he's not really coming downhill on you as much. Uh, Diabate, that could have been it. 
Uh, what number is he? I, I think it might be Diabate. I'm gonna look that. I'm gonna look that up right now. But Florida's got those those thumpers. Like despite the fact that they this year, oh, it, I, it is. It's number yeah. eleven. Number eleven from Florida, definitely. Yeah, Diabate. Yeah, that's that's it exactly. I know Florida fans have been been excited that he's he's been around as long as as long as he was. Is there is there any one guy who was like? You you had his number. You don't necessarily have to name names, but like when you got to the second level, you knew that you had somebody's number. Uh, you said I knew I had somebody's number. Like you knew you were going to be able to, with a head of steam, take care of business. Like that guy that you saw multiple times in that one-on-one spot, where you're like, "All right, I'm going to be able to <laughs> to get by." You don't have to name names. Maybe maybe you can name a specific team, or or is that is that something that's just like, hey, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it's out of sight of mine, man. It's the SEC, man. Hey, everybody's good. All right, last time we talked earlier in the offseason, we got into your country music go-tos. Uh, you were, at the time, a big Jason Aldean and Luke Bryan guy. Is that still the case, or are there maybe a couple new go-to country music artists for you? Nah, I fell off. I fell off of country music for a little bit, uh... I don't really, if I had to say, it would probably be the same because there's just one song by Jason Aldean that I, I sing. But um, other than that, there's uh, not, nothing new. All right, we'll get we'll get Cash on you. Cash, Cash will have you listen to some Sturgill, some Chris Stapleton. We'll get you, <laughs> we'll get you down that road. Um, yeah, I know Chris- he will. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's Cash through and through. Um, best Christmas movie is what? Home Alone. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we talking one or two? One. OG. All right, that's that's okay. That's all right. I, I mean, two's better if we're just being objective here. But it, one <laughs> is still great. If you would come out and said a Christmas story is the best Christmas movie, I think we would have just had to end the interview right there. That would have not not have gone well. So I'm, I'm glad you did not oh, say no. that. That would have been horrible. All right, do you, do you like a Christmas story? Please tell me you don't. No, I um, I don't even. I don't even know to you. I'm not good with movie names. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, good. All right, never mind. We don't need to. We don't need to go down that road. It, it's not worth it. Um, last one for you. If you hit 200 rushing yards in the Citrus Bowl, and don't worry, you don't have to keep track of this. Is that's what I'm here for. If you hit 200 yards in the Citrus Bowl against that Iowa defense, would you be able to give the people a video of you drinking mayo in your coffee? Uh, no. One, because I don't <laughs> like mayo and I do not drink coffee. No coffee? Wow. Do you have do you have like no, a go to go to caffeine? No, I barely drink caffeine. I usually drink I usually just drink water. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. It's working. It's working. By the way, if you do that, you would pass Benny and Lynn and move into number two on the Kentucky single season rushing list. I gotta imagine that would be pretty surreal, though, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, that'd be lit. Would not bet against. Yeah, would not bet against that that happening. See, Rod, this has been great, man. Big, big things ahead. Best of luck with the bowl game and everything beyond that. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out.
Christmas movies. Shout out to Joey Molinaro for that video with Mike Leach on Christmas movies. Kid nailed it. He's a legend. Absolutely nailed it. I love Joey. Joey's a good dude. He's a really, really good dude. He's actually, he used to work with um, my my coworker back in college and like worked on his his radio station in Indianapolis. Really? So I've been I've been like following Joey for a little bit now. And yeah, awesome, awesome dude. He does really good stuff. And his leech is, oh my gosh. Spot on. We'll get we'll get Joey on the pod one day. Heck yeah, man! I won't suggest that, but I love him, dude. Him and uh, what's his name? Ben Pelosi. They have those like skits where they go back and forth and they do the Office guys. That's my favorite thing in the world. Great, great follows on social media. Um, Their their videos are very very funny. So had to give a little tip of the tip of the cap because he hit a lot of the points that I was thinking of about like is this a movie about Christmas or a movie that's just centered around Christmas? Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. And Leach would be the person to bring that up. Um, I think I'm going to make people more mad than I have with any takes I've ever had today. <laughs> I, I, I think we're, we're gonna head in that direction. Oh boy. I had a lot of people in my mentions after I responded to Barrett Salee's tweet that my most controversial Christmas movie take was that A Christmas Story is trash. Oh boy, I love that movie, dude. I'm taking that to my grave. Look, if you like that movie, that's on you. I'm sure it's got some weird nostalgia thing for you. If that movie came out in the year 2021, it would get ripped. It would be 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, what's wrong with it? Everything. It's the dumbest plot. There are no laugh out loud moments in that movie. Everything that's supposed to be funny is cringe. I don't want to cringe for an hour and a half. I know I'm wearing a Michael Scott shirt right now, but you know what I like about Michael Scott is he has redeeming qualities. You know what's not in this movie? Any redeemable qualities. You know how the dad is supposed to be like, oh yeah, he's an older dad. He's 62 in this movie. Are we anti-older dads? No, we're not totally hating on older dads. dad's older. <laughs> look, man, that movie is, is a train wreck. And the fact that they show it nonstop on Christmas Day on TBS, oh, it makes me want to ram my head into a wall. So you don't think when the, when, the, when the dude sticks his uh, tongue on the light pole, you don't think that's funny? No, yeah, see, that's cringe. I don't want to watch somebody do that. Because now, you know, what, you know what I think of? Every single time I see a light pole like that, and I live in Florida, so it doesn't happen very often, but you know what I think of? What? That stupid movie, and that kid screaming his face off. And I think about the idea of somebody having to chop his tongue off, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't want these thoughts in my mind. I mean, I don't think it would. See, like, it's hard to say like if it came out today, because it's such a time piece, like it's such a period piece about the time with big horn rim glasses and the Red Rider BB gun and all that, and the like, code, like, there's just, there just wouldn't be a modern equivalent to that movie. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like kind of an adorable story. It's very air, airy. Like, I don't think there's anything deep. There's just a lot of iconic moments. Yeah, I don't know. There are so many movies that got just way ahead of the curve in terms of a title. A Christmas Story is an all-time great title. Yeah. It is too basic of a title for us to forget. Mm-hmm. And so we have, for whatever reason, immortalized it as this iconic Christmas movie when it's not good. It's not good. I just don't get it. Anyways, that's my fire Christmas movie take. That's not all we're gonna talk about. Got a lot of questions. Got a lot of responses, rather, from the Facebook group. Thank you to everybody who responded in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. I asked the question, what's the best Christmas movie? What's the worst Christmas movie? I already laid out why that's the worst Christmas movie. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Of course, the yearly debate that everybody gets into. We got both sides of the spectrum. And then, ya or nah on Hallmark Christmas movies. 
Again, I said I was gonna upset some people today. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna upset some people. It's okay, don't give us a one-star review based on my bad Christmas movie takes, all right? Don't do that. Listen, we only provide bad takes in this podcast. If you're listening to us about literally anything but college football, please stop. It's your fault at this point. Just remember the Heisman stuff that we talked about and how maybe you felt informed, you learned something today or something, all right? Don't, don't let that, that seep into this. Okay, Eli Truon says, the best Christmas movie is The Santa Claus 2. It's Christmas. Can there even be a bad movie? Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Hallmark, those movies are a must during the holidays. Lot to unpack there. <laughs> I'm not crazy into the Tim Allen, that whole, like his whole shtick. It, back in the day, maybe when I was a kid, I liked those a little bit more. I think I need to rewatch that one to get an appreciation for it. But I, I don't necessarily come back to Santa Claus or any of those movies in the same sort of way. There are bad Christmas movies, as I just told you. There are definitely bad Christmas movies. Um, I'll, we'll save the Die Hard debate for a little bit here when we get some more pushback on that. Will, um, have you seen Santa Claus and, and Santa Claus 2? Yeah, that's with Tim Allen, right? Yes, haven't seen Santa Claus 2. Santa Claus 1 was good. I like So I'm a big Tim Allen guy. I do think it gets a little bit repetitive. Weird fact about me, I'm like the number one source for Tim Allen gifts because one of our network has home improvement. So if you look up Tim Allen, there's a pretty good chance oh. I made, made one of those gifts. But love him. I'm kind of seen enough of him in my life. So not that I think he's bad. I just, I didn't get to number two. Okay. And number two, Santa Claus 2. All right, Eli. Interesting take. Um, let's go with this one, and we're gonna get more on the, the Hallmark stuff as well, so don't think I just skipped over that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go with, okay, Will, this is right up your alley. Jeff Jensen says, Ernest Saves Christmas and The Muppet Christmas Carol share the top spot for me. They're a must watch every season. I don't care for any Hallmark movies, but my wife loves them. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. If we use the logic, it takes place at Christmas, then so is Iron Man 3. It's time <laughs> to let it go. A lot to unpack there. Let's start off with Ernest Saves Christmas. You are all about that, aren't you? Listen, Ernest P. Worrell is the fabric that holds our, our country together. I'm vocal about this. Big Ernest guy. And if you feel a type of emotion, you know, Ernest has gone to jail. He has saved numerous things. And yeah, I mean, Ernest Saves Christmas is a very lighthearted movie. Very good to throw on. He's not going to upset anyone. And really, like, movies like this are how you get through the holidays. So can't recommend Ernest Saves Christmas enough. That's the thing that I, I, I come back to. Christmas movies in general, I have shifted my mindset over the years to now I just want something that's feel good, that's light, that's easy, turn off the brain, a little bit like reality TV mm -hmm. in a way. And that is why I have pivoted to the lighthearted things and to Hallmark movies. The Hallmark Christmas movies, I did not have any sort of childhood association with, like that was not a thing in my household growing up. Didn't realize that was a thing until I went to my in-laws place. And then one time all Christmas, that is all we watched. And by the end of it, by like the fifth one, where you can predict exactly what's gonna happen three minutes into the movie, mm -hmm. you're kind of like, hey, this actually isn't the worst thing in the world. And it's kind of nice because you can have a conversation, you can look up every once in a while, you're like, oh, hey, how is this small, tiny town gonna be able to survive with this bakery that they need this massive loan from? And how is this love interest, how are they gonna avoid going back to the big city and live in this small town? Sometimes, you know what? I don't, I don't hate that at all. 
and we'll watch a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. Well, you're working on a Hallmark Christmas, or uh, sorry, my bad, I shouldn't say Hallmark. <laughs> you are working on a Christmas movie reminiscent of something like that, correct? Yes, so uh, one of the networks I work with is called Ion. We have two Christmas movies, very similar to those coming out, called A Christmas Thief and A Christmas Witness. Very similar, like you said, it's, there's a murder mystery kind of element to it, but yeah, I, I am, like you, never really watched those growing up. Went to Britney's family's place and they have it on 24 mm. seven, and I've kind of warmed up to it. Like you said, it's very nice to just get some hot cocoa, turn the old brain off, and just enjoy a nice, you know, Christmas movie of an unflavored variety. I am in the process of making Christmas movie bingo. Depending on how good it is, I might be willing to share it. I gotta have that done, I think, within the next week or so. Just so that, you know, what you can have your, your Christmas cocktail if you're an eggnog person, all right, whatever. Um, you know, you can just relax, you can play a little bit of bingo, make it a game, make it fun, make it entertaining, lighthearted thing. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Eric Netterville. Eric says, two best Christmas movies. One, It's a Wonderful Life. Two, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. One, it is socially acceptable to watch year-round. It's a Wonderful Life as number one, no problem whatsoever. Thank God, Great. I thought you were gonna hate that too. <laughs> Great movie, awesome message. Think of how many different things have been based on that premise and how many times you've seen that incorporated into a show and what would it look like if, you, if I just never existed and uh, great, great message. Iconic, I've said iconic I think six times on this podcast, don't care. Mm -hmm. That movie, you watch it, I, I could watch that movie any time of year, no problem whatsoever. We usually try and watch that actually like on Thanksgiving while we're putting up Christmas decorations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But. That, that's, that answer's perfectly fine. I never really got into the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation as much as others did. And I think part of that is because I low-key hate Chevy Chase. And I think I hate him even more after watching Community. Chevy Chase is, from what I've heard within the acting community, objectively a bad person. So I think the that, worst. So I think that your head hand was on the pulse there. That really doesn't take away from my love of that movie. He's a guy yeah. that, yeah, I'm with you on the community thing. I think he's kind of just playing himself in that movie or in that show. But yeah, no, I, I he's done enough for society that I, I think that you know I, I can enjoy his stuff. He's kind of like Kanye in a way. Yeah, that's fair. That's perfectly fair. Those those movies are fine. I just I, I'm not one of those people that really bangs the drum for them if they're on whatever. But I I don't really seek them out in the same way that that many do. Um, let's go to uh, eventually we're gonna hit the Die Hard question. Let's leave the Die Hard question for the very end. Will can you remind me of that yes. so I don't skip right over it? Yes. All right. Caleb Tillman says best is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Worst is Nutcracker and The Four Realms. I don't know that one. Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Hallmark is hit or miss, but you know it's good if Candace Cameron is there. For those who don't know who Candace Cameron is, that is DJ from Full House, and she is in all of those movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's, there's this one where she's a twin, I think, and they did this with Vanessa Hudgens and the, the Christmas, or the Princess Switch. I've seen all three of those movies as well, of course. Netflix just has a ton of those that are out there. It's funny because it feels like they pick from the same pool of maybe 15 to 20 actors for their leads every single time. And then you'll get that random one-off character where you're like, oh, you were in a movie that I really liked 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now oh, this is what you're doing now, good. And they're, they're great IMDb movies as well. And as you know, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I love searching on IMDb about a movie while I'm watching a movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
because I just go down the rabbit hole, that's the best time for IMDb in my opinion. And yeah, whenever Candace Cameron comes on, you know they're bringing the heat. That's, that's the big budget Hallmark Christmas movies. They're not messing around there. Speaking of that, this, uh, The Nutcracker in the Four, Four Realms, I knew that wasn't made up, I just hadn't heard of it. This is one of the most chaotic movie posters I've ever seen in my life. It's got like your typical like fairy stuff going on in the foreground, and then you just see Morgan Freeman with kind of a pseudo afro and an eye patch. Um, so this is obviously some type of a big budget movie that I just missed. Uh, apparently, oh, I- Wait, I, when was this made? Uh, 2018. Uh, so, oh. yeah, this is new. It has Keira Knightley, uh, Mackenzie Foy, and yeah, Morgan Freeman. And and I guess it just missed all the rotten, it is a 32% Rotten Tomatoes. So this is objectively what apparently was not a good movie, but this is the most chaotic movie poster I think I've ever seen in my life. Jeez, who knew that Morgan Freeman could be in a bad movie? Go figure. Yeah. Keira Knightley though, in one of the best Christmas movies ever, Love Actually. Look in the, look in the dot. Okay, did you, you, you post this, this is some bad radio right now. Oh my lord. <laughs> Please look up, all of you right now, look oh up the movie poster to this movie. It is so strange. I couldn't imagine enjoying this movie. Okay, I've, un I've undid it now. You can go back to yours. <laughs> a lot going on there. I don't know what to make of all of that. Morgan Freeman with an eye patch. That'll throw you for a loop. I'm gonna be remembering that for the rest of the day now. Thank you, Will, for that. Um, Matthew Sadro had, uh, Matthew Sadro's got a, a good answer here. Um, I hit on a lot of the points that we already got here um, about uh, Christmas Story and my, my rant about that. He's never been a big fan. Um, Hallmark movies are great to have on while you're doing something else or if you want to turn your brain off for a bit, absolutely. He said The Family Man is the best Christmas movie. I don't, I'm not as familiar with The Family Man or as much of Nicolas's Cage, uh, as much of his work as I should be probably. Gone in 60 seconds, really good. Leaving Las Vegas, super depressing. Mm -hmm. um, National Treasure, okay, I guess I know Nicolas Cage movies. Everybody knows Nicolas Cage movies. Um, don't know The Family Man quite as much. I need to get on that though. Similar vibes to um, It's Wonderful Life, I'm guessing. I don't know. Sure. All right, let's go to this from Michaela Crabtree. Uh, she says, Home Alone has to be my favorite, but I also love the Santa Claus trilogy and Polar Express. Great childhood book. Mm -hmm. Two, Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas has to be one of the worst. Oh man. Three, I've never watched Die Hard, so I don't know, maybe I should watch that this year. Four, yes to Hallmark movies as a big romantic. I love them no matter how cheesy they are. Lots to unpack with that one as well. The Jim Carrey take. I'm not a Jim Carrey guy. Lays it on too thick for me. Just too, too thick. I guess, Every, man. Okay, well here's uh, the thing. Have you ever seen The Truman Show? Yes, I've seen The Truman Show. That's probably the best Jim Carrey movie. Actually. Oh, I love that movie so much. Like to me, he is yeah. a genius person. I think that he, I think his brand of comedy is very slapstick, but I think it comes from a place. He's kind of like Steve Carell in that he makes dumb comedy for smart people, if that makes sense. I love The Grinch. I think The Grinch is a great movie. And it's just so like, I think him in that role, I mean, he's playing a cartoon character. He's playing a, a literal yeah. cartoon. So I he think- He is that, a cartoon character. Yeah, like, so it's like, yeah, I, I just, I think he was perfect for that role. I don't know. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Home Alone, in my opinion, and as people listen to this, if you didn't skip through the podcast, you know I am Home Alone 2 over Home Alone 1. C-Rod says that Home Alone is the best Christmas movie. Again, lost in New York, more iconic moments in my opinion. That's the seventh time today I've said iconic. <laughs> that, that is a must watch every holiday season. Must watch, that is, that is my number one, number one. And I, there, there are a lot of good ones up there. Love Die Hard now that Mar Marler introduced me to Die Hard. I watched Die Hard for the very first time at his oh, really? place three years ago. Yeah, yeah, actually that was 
We watched that, I think we watched that before the 2018 SEC Championship. And I've since seen it two more times, I think. But I know I like Die Hard because I had a flight from Denver to Chicago a few months ago. And it, you could basically just pick any movie, any movie. And I'm like, I'm watching Die Hard right now. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how you know that a movie has kind of grown on you. And that hit right away. I tried to watch it actually last night and Lauren was like, eh, let's save it for another time. She has not seen it yet. So I need to immerse her in full diehard culture and the greatness that is Alan Rickman in a non-Severus Snape or Love Actually role. <laughs> the diehard lifestyle. Yes, the diehard lifestyle. Uh, let's go to uh, a lot of good ones here. So many good responses. Uh, Aaron Michael says, I always watch Four Christmases every year, highly underrated. I haven't seen that one, but I keep seeing it on Netflix with Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. They keep suggesting that to me to watch, and I haven't quite gotten there yet. I think I got that right. Have you seen that one, Will? Mm-mm. Okay. Heard good things, right. yeah, not anti. Um, and Aaron also added, hard no on Hallmark Channel and everything to do with it. Well, that's... That is aggressive, my friend. Um, <laughs> we will not stand for that here on this podcast. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't want to repeat as much, so I apologize if I'm skipping. Uh, Michael Dark says, forget A Christmas Carol, Elf, and It's a Wonderful Life. The greatest Christmas movie of all time is Jingle All the Way. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he spelled Schwarzenegger. Oh, buddy. Jingle, yeah. Turbo Man. I have to get the Turbo Man. I haven't watched that in a long time. A long time. I think I watched I watched that probably when I was like 12 or something. I don't remember where I watched it, when I watched it, but oh, am I getting, you know what? I'm getting that mixed up with Kindergarten Cop. I am. <laughs> Easy to right, do, to honestly. I need to watch Kindergarten Cop's a really good movie, speaking of Arnold, mm -hmm. um, but have not gotten around to that. All right, I need to watch Jingle All The Way. Who doesn't love mid-90s Sinbad? Have you ever seen First Kid? Maybe when I was young, it didn't stick with me though. Hop on that Disney Plus. Okay. Yeah, Sinbad, great in that role as well. All right, not gonna hate on that, not gonna hate on that. Um, although, I, we don't really stand for It's a Wonderful Life slander here. We don't really do that as well. Let's go to, uh, all right, Reed Cousins. We'll, um, we can end with, this one. We'll end with this one. Or no, two more, two more. Reed Cousins says, best is Love Actually, worst is White Christmas, and then Die Hard is absolutely a Christmas movie, and yes, on Hallmark Movies, who doesn't love a movie with a happy ending? As a UGA fan, that's the only happy ending I have in this life. Hashtag Stetson sucks. So that is something that I think um, a lot of Georgia fans will relate to, is just wanting to see people happy and not miserable and not want to cry their eyes out. Very timely response there. Love Actually is awesome. It's, it is such an underrated overall movie. And I, I hate that it kind of gets put in this Christmas box, but all the concurrent storylines that are going on, I don't like Hugh Grant. I really don't. He's a bit much for me, mm -hmm. but all the other things going on, like Colin Firth's storyline in that, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson is in his best role in that movie. The widower who is the ultimate wingman for his boy, Sam. That's where we need to see Liam Neeson back in. Not this, I will find you and I will end you. We don't need that from Liam Neeson. We need him in ultimate wingman mode Maybe not just for like 11 year old kids, but for 
other people in this life. Miscast he is right now. Yeah, I feel like you know, he's very aggressive. We should dial it down. You know, I have a marketing idea. For UGA, they should also just hand out hard copies of Hallmark movies with season tickets. Because you know, when you have a game like the one last Saturday, you want to just sit down, get a little bit of happiness, a little bit of a little bit of euphoric buzz going on. You put you on a Christmas bakery. Right, and you just yep. sit down, you get your hot chocolate, you just go, you know, maybe this life's okay. Maybe if this person can find a supermodel husband in her small town in Minnesota, then hey, anything is possible for me. Anything is possible for Kirby. We could all do it together. After every single SEC championship, SEC Network, ESPN, somebody needs to be able to, to, to get the rights to a Hallmark movie with Candace Cameron just so you can feel better. Mm -hmm. Just just have that built in. Or if you're a Georgia fan, plan ahead. You know you can pre-record all this stuff. Just have that in the queue, ready to go afterwards. Make yourself feel better. I like this idea. I think it's really helpful. All right, let's end with, um, we'll end with uh, Nick Ruark here. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Just because something takes place during or around a certain holiday does not mean it's about that holiday. Titanic is set during April, right? Right. Or, let me let me reread that. Titanic is set during April, right when it sank. Buzzkill. Does that make it an Spo Easter? Whoa, whoa, movie? spoilers. Yeah, spoilers here. Goodness gracious, man. Uh, case closed. Christmas Vacation is the best Christmas movie. I was ready to watch Die Hard for the first time three years ago and say, nope, not a Christmas movie. No way, no chance. It's not gonna be confused for any Hallmark Christmas movie. Not saying that. I think it's a Christmas movie. I do. And I think it's a Christmas movie because it takes place all centered on that one night at a Christmas party. And every single time now I see an office Christmas party, that's exactly what I think of. And I think the entire place is about to get shot up and this massive heist is about to happen, spoiler alert. But I think it's a Christmas movie. And I think it's just a guy coming home to see his family for the holidays who gets into a little bit of trouble, which on the surface, that happens in a lot of Christmas movies, right? Oh, hey, main character comes back to, the, to, their, to their hometown not hometown, but to see their family. And maybe, you know, they find out that their friend, their childhood friend needs to save their local farm, their local Christmas tree farm. They get into a little bit of trouble. They've got to figure out ways in which they can not have this bad thing happen. And then everybody's all right at the end. Die Hard, similar, right? A little more violence, a little bit more unexpected, um, unexpected twists and turns. Definitely a lot more barefoot moments in which you're stepping on glass. Same amount of Alan Rickman. I think it's a Christmas movie. Do you, do you see this comment that says, Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie. He sneaks around a tower at night avoiding Alan Rickman. It's a Harry Potter movie. Now that is a take. That's incredible. <laughs> that is a take. I've seen people say that Harry Potter then is a Christmas movie. Harry Potter takes place all year round. Oh, it man. has Christmas scenes. The Goblet of Fire might be a Christmas movie, though. No, it's not. Okay, well, I'm just trying here. I'm trying to make everything, <laughs> no, you know. Not. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the Die Hard thing. It's like, it's not, whatever whatever makes you happy. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm in that vibe with all of Christmas. Like, if you think it's a Christmas movie, watch it on Christmas. If you don't, no one's making you watch it on Christmas. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, whatever, whatever you know, it could be a Hanukkah movie if you want. I don't care. Yeah. I, when, I was, when I was on that flight, I'm like, I'm watching Die Hard right now. I wasn't necessarily in the Christmas spirit. That's not what prompted it, but that's okay. Who cares? This is all about this is all about how a movie is built, how it goes from scene to scene, 
and it has Christmas thematical, that's a word, mm -hmm. elements. And I think it checks out just enough. That's the line. Anything below that? No, 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 no. I've seen some of these Hallmark movies too. We watched one, it was like Christmas in California or something. And there was like no mentions of Christmas whatsoever, but it was marketed as such. And they had a few scenes in which they're like, oh, Christmas, you know, they gotta get this done before Christmas and that's it. And there's no snow or anything. So what constitutes a Christmas movie? I know everybody's had this debate a million times, but who cares? Two things really quick. My favorite Christmas movie is Elf. I love Will Ferrell. I think that that movie pretty much cemented him. To me, he's like the greatest comedic actor. Number two, what you just said reminds Whoa. me of... Hmm? Greatest comedic actor of, of, of our generation? Of our generation, of yes. Century? I think that if you look at the amount of like oh. top 10, top five, like all time movies he's had, you know what I'm saying? Step Brothers, like all, like Talladega Nights, like obviously it's all, I mean, Anchorman. So like if you've ever been in the news, Anchorman is like a, a thing that you quote all the time. He's hit like every segment of society. Um, I'm gonna, this is completely random. Again, me versus the doc. But uh, speaking of something just getting completely off the rails, uh, have you seen that thing about Kangaroo Jack where it started off as a mob movie and it failed with all the, uh, with all the testers? and so they just basically the kangaroo wasn't even supposed to be in it they just reshot it with all these kangaroo scenes it's one of the craziest wikipedia pages i've ever seen if you haven't seen this kangaroo jack was not supposed to involve a kangaroo almost whatsoever and they were just like you know what let's make this a kids movie so yeah pivoting is very huge in the world of movies is where i'm going here that, that's the most random thing you've ever shared on this podcast yes thank you i don't hate it though <laughs> Now I need to go back and watch Kangaroo Jack. Well, I shouldn't say go back and watch it. Don't. Watch it for the first time. There you go. Yeah, it's, you know, another mind, mindless movie. But yeah, that's, like I said, Elf, I think, is the best movie. I'm up there with the classics. I, I don't really hate anything. I, I hate one now, apparently. The, the four, the one with Morgan Freeman and the eye patch. I'm out. Never going to watch. You, can, you heard it here first. I'll never be watching that movie. <laughs> don't make me. No. Don't. Don't. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it. There are a lot of bad Christmas movies, but they're almost so bad that they're good. Except The Christmas Story. That's just straight up bad. We can't deal with this. That. Is, it sounds like a guy who wasn't allowed to have a Red Ryder BB gun. I like to shoot the person's eye out of whoever keeps coming up with the idea to put that on TBS every single year, all right? <laughs> okay. Leave us a five-star review. If you have not already, go subscribe. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever wherever you get your podcasts. Um, new, podca new pod schedule moving forward, by the way. We're gonna record Monday and Thursday, so those will drop Tuesday and Friday morning. We're gonna do that through bowl season and then kind of reevaluate how often we're doing them, what day of the week, all that different stuff. So early next week, we're gonna have a little bit of Heisman recap. And then we had the all SEC teams drop. Disagreed on a few of those. Didn't exactly have enough time to get to all of that today. So we're, we just had way too much to get to. So we're gonna, we're gonna have to, to talk about that next week. So um, also, if you're not already just reading SaturdayDownSouth.com for six hours a day, I know I say this often, but there is just so much good stuff right now on our stinking website, and you should seriously waste an afternoon just clicking around to a million different things. A lot of transfer portal stuff, a lot of things that we haven't even had time to be able to talk about on this podcast, but go read about it on SaturdayDownSouth.com. Join the Facebook group, hear your name, Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.